You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode contains topics that some listeners may find triggering. See the episode description for more information. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. And today we are kicking off our Journey to Motherhood series with the fantastic Stephanie J. Block. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. And please help us welcome Tony Award winning actress <laughs> Stephanie J. Block. Hello. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be oh, here. Gosh. Thank you. Thank you. It is awesome to have you here. For anyone who I mean, might who be under a rock know, but <laughs> and doesn't know who Stephanie J. Block is, she most recently won the Tony Award, your first, mm-hmm. not your first nomination, but mm-hmm. your first oh, Tony. Mm-hmm. For portraying Cher in the Cher Who show. Who would have guessed that nonsense? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you were fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. And the costumes and all of it. And um, Cher, though, there were three of you. So you were diva. Diva? I no. was star. You were star Cher. Yeah, that's but what. that's interesting because in the earlier readings, it was diva Cher. And oh, then they turned it to what star. What were the names of the other two again? Uh, lady was lady. middle for like dark lady. Yep. And babe for I got you, babe. Oh, that's perfect. See it? Well, See and it. perhaps, well, Donna Summer the year yep. before. That's right. My show, <laughs> that's we right. had diva Donna. So perhaps. That's why they pulled it. I think <laughs> <laughs> perhaps that had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, however, before that, um, a performance of yours. Well, I've. I've been a fan, actually. You don't know this. I'm going to just hop right in. But I saw you on the tour of Wicked in L.A. Oh, my gosh. In what, 2006? Six, maybe? No, five? maybe five. Five, I think five. 2005. Mm-hmm. And as Alphaba, and you were phenomenal. Thank I, you. I, I was overwhelmed and overcome and in awe of you. And at oh the time, gosh. I didn't know you. And now... Here we all are. Here we are. But um, that was my first glimpse into who Stephanie J. Block is. And then I saw Pirate Queen. Yes. Which was awesome. I love that show. She was epic. That whole she was piece. Epic yep. when you're sword fighting after giving birth and like walking the, through flames. I mean, it was repelling epic. down the proscenium. Yeah, it was yeah, epic. That was epic. But most recently, before the share show, was Falsettos, mm-hmm. which. Holds such a special place in my heart. I mean, I adore that, that show. show. Me and too. Your performance in that was... I get asked a lot, you know, what's your favorite character or if you could go back and play one, and it's very difficult to choose. I mean, it's not yeah, like children, some... but at the same time, no, right, I mean, we invest yeah. and we work hard. And um, But there was something about falsettos, that cast, the time in which we were telling the mm-hmm. story. It was like lightning in a bottle, and so I think I will always have a really deep connection to that and Trina. It was so fantastic. I remember leaving. I saw the show on the first national tour when I, for my 13th birthday. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) My parents said, we'll take you and two friends. We were living in Orange, Texas, to see either falsettos in Houston 
on the tour or the out of town of Beauty and the Beast. And did Mama and, and Daddy know what falsetto? Oh yeah, was? Oh, you know they're did. theater people. Oh, yeah. They knew what it was. Okay, you know, but, Texas. But yeah, <laughs> but we and I picked falsettos naturally, uh-huh. and my friends that went with me, they started that four Jews in a room, and they were like, "What, what? are you watching?" Um, you know. So the baker's so, not selling right. bread, and Belle's not reading <laughs> her book. <laughs> but I saw the show cute. then, and I adored it. And then I saw your production, the revival, and I kid you not, I left the theater. And went out to the sidewalk, and there was a planter there, and I just sort of leaned over it and sobbed mm. for another good five minutes or so. Wow. I was so moved. The, I mean, the show itself is so moving, and but the then you've lived a lot of life since, and you've yeah. become a mama since. Yeah, and, you oh know that gosh. informs everything. Oh my gosh, sure. it was wonderful. So that was just a snippet. Just we've a also snippet. got Thank Edwin Drood. I mean, the range of roles you've played you. is I mean, really, truly astounding. I, I do feel lucky in that regard that I never have been you've pegged never into been one particular. No. 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 I mean, you have such a gift. You are so good. Um, impersonating isn't the right word, but but playing a real person, right, that people identify um, Cher and in The Boy From Oz. So that's a niche of yours that yeah. you're really great at, but that has not been what you are limited to. I mean, no. your, your breadth breadth of work is truly astounding. Thank you, Kara. Yeah, I noticed that this morning because I, I mean, I've known you and I know in my head what you've done, but then to look at it all in one place and yeah. to sort of go down it and see the list of roles, I mean, it's really impressive. Thank you. And it's dreams. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, dreams. that's yeah, dreams. Yeah, if I told little Stephanie to look back and say, this is what your future is going to look like, I would have not guessed. But if we all start in regional theater, right, you've got to kind of got to do everything in order just to work and pay your bills mm-hmm. so you better tap dance a little you better sing legit yeah, a little right. you better belt your face off a little you just kind of have to stir all of those pots just mm-hmm. to make ends meet so yeah. then you come here and hopefully you get to show those little glimpses of what you've created in your tool belt and lucky enough I've, I've been able to do that it's amazing I was wondering this morning when I was looking because I know you're from SoCal because mm-hmm. we have so many mutual friends mm-hmm. um, but I was wondering with Boy From Oz were you already living here when yes. that? When did you come here? Because I see all these CLOs, right? You know, I, South Bay and everything. And then. I attempted to move here when I was 22. And if you looked at my resume, I had some leads in regional theater. I had an agent. I was in the union, and but the city scared the crap out of me. I was intimidated by everything and everyone, and that's kind of was what was stopping me. I was getting um, some roles like, you know, I got uh, uh, Pittsburgh Civet Light Opera or the Muni, and I felt really great about landing these roles. But inevitably, I would come back, and there just was something holding me back, and it was myself. So I knew I had to go back home and kind of find out who I was, what was never going to stop me from wavering in my own self-understanding and wanting to be in a room, whether it was Sondheim or somebody I'd never met, and being that same person. And I was finding when I was in New York, I was Mm shape-shifting. And I kept going, oh, I want to be whatever they want me to be behind Mm -hmm. the table. And I was losing who I was and what was making me special. And it took me several years, and it was wicked that brought me back. So I had worked in um, Los Angeles with Stephen Schwartz and Winnie Holtzman, kind of with the beginnings and the birth of what would become wicked for almost two years. So I flew out to audition for Alfie. They said, 
love you, but we're going with Adina, but would you want to be her standby and understudy? So that's why I came out and was with the original company of Wicked. But by the time we were to leave for San Francisco for the out-of-town tryout, I had booked Liza with no expectations. I just kept auditioning. You know, Mm -hmm. I just wanted people to see me and for me to meet them and just to get more and more comfortable in the room. And um, again, never saw Liza Minnelli coming, but that was going to be my Broadway debut. So I went out of town standing by and being the understudy for Adina, knowing that I wasn't going to bring Wicked back into the city. It was going to be the boy from Oz. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I... I've always talked about, and I think this sort of speaks to it, how I never wanted to move here until I had a job mm-hmm. because it's so hard to live here. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. I, you know, growing up in the South and living in California, I like sunshine. I like mm-hmm. warm air. Um, the quality of life just is, you know. She's tough. Yeah, she's tough. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. really break it down. It's beyond the the spiritual. It's beyond the talent. It's, it's a lot to do, as silly as it sounds or as... Um, kind of loosey-goosey as it sounds, a lot of finances. Oh, You've yeah. got to have that nest egg. Mm-hmm. I still have some of my most talented friends are, they found themselves still behind a bar. And yeah. I have to honor that because that's what they had to do to pay for their to life. Yeah. But with that, they're there till three or four o'clock in the morning, which doesn't allow them to sleep, to go to that audition the next day. And, and it, it just kind of becomes an avalanche. And before you know, you look back, you're like, wow, okay, I've been here five or six years and I haven't really been able to take class. I haven't really been able to focus on the arts per se, because they really are working just to keep their head afloat. And, you know, that I think is more the story than not. So I always encourage people, have that little nest egg so you can focus on taking lessons and showing up and Mm -hmm. keep honing your craft. And I think it's so interesting what you said about how you came here and you weren't quite ready. You found yourself trying to fit into other people, what people wanted. Right. Um, And I had the completely opposite experience. I'm from New Jersey. I came to college here. The city was my home away from home. You spoke this language already. I spoke this language very easily and I felt very comfortable here. But I came here so young that for very many years, I did try to fit into something that people expected of me. And mm-hmm. I came to it much later. And I think it took so much like self res- self-reflection on your part to be able to recognize that you didn't want to do that. Yeah. And did I, you feel like, oh my gosh, if I didn't hit it, they're going to think I'm a failure in my hometown because... Um, it wasn't so much my hometown. It was more myself. Do you know what self, I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think that I fell on my face in front of people in this industry a lot. And I think that being able to do that definitely is, there's validity and and worth in that. But I think that what you talked about, really knowing who you were as an artist and what you wanted to bring to the table and not fitting into somebody else's perception, that's really strong advice. And if I could go back in time and put that little, you know, earworm in my, in 20 year old Kara's ear, that would have been very useful. Look, if you don't know who you are, they're not going to be able to cast you because they won't know who Mm -hmm. you are. Right. So Mm -hmm. that strong sense of self is really important. And I just, I thought I had it. And, but my worry was, right. I was reared to do this. I knew what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do when I was a seven. I started training hardcore when I was 11. And so the whole community was behind me and, oh, when she gets there, she's going to get that Tony by 22 and she's going to, and it was, it was. So when I had that sort of reflection, this isn't your jam girl. It's not working right now. You got to go back home. I felt like I was letting down a whole uh, Mm. community and that they were going to be, oh, how you know, there was going to be a bit of a pity party. Um, But I created that own scenario in my head and I just needed to look past that, go back home, get myself better and my head right. And then 
luckily. Well, you it did it right because I I remember seeing Boy from Oz, and you were the talk of the town. Oh, like, yeah, I remember. No, I didn't live here then, this, and I still heard about her. I mean, <laughs> it was like this 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 woman's making her Broadway debut. She's absolutely right. incredible. Oh, I mean, I, I I remember it very vividly, and I remember seeing it. and You were phenomenal. Thank you. Um, but so and fourteen years later, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Not even yeah. what is it? It was two thousand three. Where are we? Oh my Seventeen God. years later, <laughs> Grandma. <laughs> No, but well, I um, speaking about when you moved back. Was there a point when you went back that you thought maybe you wouldn't come to New York again? Yes. Yeah. I had a long-term boyfriend. He and I were dating. Well, in total, like ten and a half years. Oh my gosh! I was having a really beautiful life. I had an Mm -hmm. apartment I loved. We would go golfing three times a week. Mm -hmm. We met our friends at Huntington Beach for brunch. There was this lovely life. (laughs) Yeah, it was lovely. (laughs) Right? I was doing revivals everywhere, and when we traveled, it would only be six weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was nothing wrong with that life per se. I think there was always a little bit of an ache and a little bit of a wonder, and certainly a hunger to uh, create something new, which wasn't really happening out in Los Angeles. And every time I did audition for musical theater, they would say, what are you doing here? I mean, this is the land of TV and film. Don't you need to go (laughs) to the East Coast? And I was like, yeah, I tried that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I could have stayed there. I think I could have. I don't know what that life would have looked like because, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back is always, um, you know, 2020. But... uh, that life would have been very different. Um, I'm glad I'm here now because it did, for me, personally, <clears throat> became a dream with my husband and my family, my well, kid. And that's and what I was going to sort of ask about is, you know, you're in this long-term relationship and you were back in L.A. And mm-hmm. had you at any point started to think about motherhood or down the road or what no. you wanted or was it all career? Like Correct. You were like, the yeah, the, the guy I was dating was hard. We never, I would bring up marriage and be like, why? Mm-hmm. We're committed to each other. You know, you're not futzing around. I'm not futzing around. I'm in it for the long haul. We got something good. What, how yeah. does marriage come into play? And the way he would word it was in such a way that it made sense to me. Then I would get with my family or my girlfriends or see my sister who was married with three kids at the time. And, um, there was, uh, I found myself kind of regurgitating what he mm-hmm. was telling mm-hmm. me and using that as a as a line mm-hmm. to appease them and to ultimately, I found out, just kind of to appease me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily right. yeah, comfortable right. with it, but if you kept repeating it over and yeah. over enough, yeah. it made sense. Yeah. Um, so when the Wicked Tour happened, that was a big discussion between me and the guy I was dating, um, and he encouraged me to go knowing that he would come visit, but it was that tour that Sebastian Arcellus walked into my life, and I went, oh, well, that's <laughs> different. Still very committed to the gentleman I was dating, but all of the excuses and the lines that I was feeding myself that seemed okay, all of a sudden didn't seem okay anymore. Mm-hmm. And this guy like exceeded all of the expectations and all of the excuses that the boyfriend at the time were using. He seemed to be living his life without any of those excuses and able to be a great son and do his job properly and pay his bills on time and show up to work with a great attitude and a great spirit. And I kept going, oh, well, we'll see when that other shoe drops. This this can't possibly be mm-hmm. him, right? Because he came into the tour about 10 and a half months after I had already been doing it. And quite frankly, when they said, you're going to get a new Fiero, 
just the exhaustion of being Elphaba. And I was like, oh, man, having to find that chemistry again and to go back into rehearsals. <laughs> I don't want any bit of that. Um, so when he showed up, maybe I wasn't the most gracious spirit. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Well, yeah, you've been in there almost a year. Yeah, and the Mama of was tired. Really tired. So the whole idea of finding that chemistry mm -hmm. and doing the put in and, and yeah. um, but he was just a gentleman from the first time I met him and helping, you know, everybody with their bags onto the bus or the airplane or he was a delicious human. And I recognized that right away, but I left the tour and um, I now know that he had fallen in love with me within the first week or two and called his mom and said, I'm marrying this woman and had been journaling <laughs> oh, and oh. he bought my engagement ring before we started dating. Because oh my what? Literally said, it was either going to be this lifetime or the next. Like, I was done when I met you. And I came back home. I lived my life. And he would call. And, and were you still with – you were still with the other? We had severed okay. ties. Okay. Because the other said, once you're done with the tour, I'm ready to make the move mm. to New York City. So ah. I was like, right on. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden, hamana, hamana, hamana. He found a great place, a guest house in Los Feliz, which is a great part of town in Los Angeles. And our whole life plan started to change. He also had presented a diamond ring but said, it's not what you think it is. Oh. And I said, well – what, what finger what? do I put that on? <laughs> and it was still the wedding finger, but it was like this promise ring. And at 33, after dating someone for 10 and a half years, you think, why am I wearing a promise ring, right, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, this is, I'm this just going to start from scratch. Yep, I totally release you. I wish you all the best, but it ain't going to happen with me or for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so Sebastian just was persistent in, hey, you know, I'm coming into New York to have a dentist appointment or I'm checking in on my apartment. Do you want to get together? And little, pardon me, little by little we did. And then that was the end of that. I was, I was done too. Well, wow. I mean. We are setting the bar very high for anybody listening, <laughs> just so you know, that I is mean, not typical. <laughs> I'm just so impressed. The whole thing about the, the ring, that oh, he bought yeah. it before you even started oh, dating. Yeah. Yeah. But that's in his blood. I yeah. mean, Sebastian just has this innate um, romantic and sort of otherworldly way of thinking. I'm the realist and always says, okay, pros and cons list. Let's mm -hmm. look at this. And he's like, we're going we're gonna to make it work. We're right. going to be able to do it all. Now- that's not always the case. Most times than not, it's not. But he is the voice of dreams, and I am the voice of reason, and somehow it all comes together and it works. Yeah, Eric oh. Anderson's the same way. He'll same. be like, it, we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's that's all gonna exactly be good. right. And that's I'm right. like, but we have to have a plan. What if it doesn't? He's like, but it's it gonna won't. It's right. going to work out. I love and I'm that. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my husband and I flop back and forth between who's the dreamer and who's the realist. Okay. Because we both can play both roles pretty well. Yep. But like, it's... It's the yin and the yang. Whoever who, who needs it when, you yep. know? Mm -hmm. I think that's good. But, yeah. yeah. Eric you know. never thinks about <laughs> But that's part of why I love him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Of course. Why I want to pull my hair out. No, but <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian. So speaking of Sebastian, we both know him. Like when I came into I met you guys first off during Pirate Queen because Michael, Michael was, James Scott. Yes, yep. the bestie was in it. And um, so I met you guys then. We actually went to breakfast. Do you remember I that? do remember. Yeah, that was I, fun. You guys weren't was married Was that a yet. Florida breakfast? No, it was Chicago. A Chicago breakfast. Oh, yeah. out of town, out, out of town, town, out of town. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why did I, I feel you in Florida? Have we been in Florida together? Mm, I don't no. think so. But we're, but Michael and <laughs> I are from Florida. Florida. That's Okay, that's what it, I'm you know. sensing. But so I met you guys then. And then when I went into Jersey Boys, Sebastian was ending his run 
his Gaudio run. That's so, so kind, right? Oh my God. Kind he's the best. Thing. And he then I did Elf so with him. Great. And he left to oh, go right away to Jersey Boys to do Elf. And then I went back to Jersey. Yeah. I went into Jersey Boys after yeah. Elf. That's yeah. tag team uh, in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. No, but Sebastian really is. I mean, he is a dream of a human, I think. Mm-hmm. He's just, his energy is so kind and mm-hmm. open positive. and mm-hmm. positive. And that comes across when you're around him. Like he's just. I adore your husband. I think I he's do awesome. Too. Thank you. It's so so lovely. Isn't that and such a great feeling when yes. someone says they are, they adore your husband? I have never met anyone who's like, oh, that's Sebastian Arcellus. Like it really is just a yeah. Valentine when people say his yeah. name. And that yes, I take. I have nothing to do with it, but I take great pride. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just of course. being associated with him. You said you know? yes. Exactly. I said yes. Yeah. Thank baby Jesus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, another way he is fantastic is he's an awesome dad. He's an I, awesome dad. You can see that you can with the onesies, the dressing up, and oh, the, yeah. you guys in the Snapchat. Y'all oh, do all the filters. Oh my gosh. They have a relationship that Mama is very loved and respected, and Vivi wants uh, t- to be like Mama in so many ways. But the relationship with her dad, she's at the stage where she says, "I'm going to marry Dada." Mm-hmm. Right? She doesn't understand yeah, that. Of first of all, you, you know, you've got the same last name. And <laughs> I, actually, I want to I want to just share this little story because I have a niece and a nephew who, when they were young, they wanted to marry each other. The niece and the nephew. And my sister said, "No, you guys have the same last name. You cannot do that." So they changed their name to the Schneiders. <laughs> <laughs> that like, was their answer. We can to get around this. Well, then the that Schneiders are going to get married. Uh, <laughs> but she does look up to him in a way that is that is dreamy. That is, um, this is going to be the standard, I think, mm. for what she expects well, not only out is, of boys that, and men, but out of human beings. And I think that's a really great lesson that he just absolutely. gives her day in and day out. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. I so. When you said yes to Sebastian, mm-hmm. let's go back a little bit and talk about Vivi and mm-hmm. tell us she's yeah. five now, mm-hmm. right? She turned just five. turned last week. Yeah. Ooh, I know. Um, so you guys got married. Um, I was older. I was 35 when that all happened. Mm-hmm. So again, on tour with Wicked, I was 33. So we met when I was 33. Um, and then we our engagement was pretty quick. We got married. Of course, we spoke of what our family would look like, although I felt none of that ticking clock. Did it. Well, Even though at my age, I never felt that because my sister, who has five kids, Fertile Myrtle, my mother was very, you know, fertile. She had no problems. And I didn't think I would either. And every time I looked at Sebastian's face, I was like, when we decide to create a little person, it's going to be done in love. I think it's going to be blessed by God, the universe. Like, I don't believe we're going to have any problems. Well, and it's interesting because you never felt that with you never even sort of thought about kids no. and marriage with the other. No. So from the get go, once you decided to go in with Sebastian and you were like, I'm giving in to, you know, you've been persistent. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Did you from the get go feel this is the man I I want to have a child with or um, if like, did you I feel were the to mother have, pull? No, pull never. Yourself, never. You never did. So, even when I was pregnant, I never felt I was a vessel of, of life. I knew what I was doing was glorious and beautiful and but I never I felt so lacking in the sense that 
why am I not feeling like a different ethereal motherhood sort of, you know, uh, light or shouldn't I walk different? Shouldn't I be different? And that never really clicked. And with the family part, he and I had many discussions. And at the end of those discussions, we'd be like, well, there's no rush. We'll figure it out. There's no rush. We'll figure it out. And then five years came Mm. and it was 40 when I said, here we are. Now I am starting to really look at you and say, I feel like our love deserves to have another little person walk the earth that is of you because that just needs to happen. Well, Sebastian. you're pretty awesome. Too. Yeah, exactly. Well, Don't sell yourself Let's, short. You know. Come on. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I understand what you're saying. Um, but you're pretty cool. Um, and, you know, whatever that looked like, our finances were in place. We had a two bedroom apartment that we could actually make a nursery. Um, and then it didn't happen as easily as I thought, right? So I went off birth control. Uh, the loving was happening, but, and I th- would think maybe I'd be five days late and there would come my cycle. And I thought, oh, well, that didn't happen. And then my cycle was kind of all over the place. And I met with um, a holistic healer who said, Perhaps you are having little miscarriages along the way mm. because I am looking at your cycle. How and long a period of time was this over? That's gonna. I didn't get pregnant until I was forty-two. Oh wow! So okay. uh, we tried before, um, not very safely. But if I got pregnant, I got pregnant. Right. right? right. So mm-hmm. thirty-eight, that would have been fine. Thirty-nine, oh, yeah. that would have been for, fine. Forty was. Uh, yeah, let's do this. Tracking my periods, tracking my ovulation, doing the whole, yeah. he, he, what's your body temperature, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then I tried acupuncture, and she was remarkable, and she gave me all these Chinese herbs. And uh, we were trying to do that, but with a performance schedule, it wasn't working out. Mm. Those Chinese herbs were doing a whole lot of stuff to my system. Mm. What were you um, doing at what the time? Drood? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's just say I could have pooped my pants on stage oh multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> like those Terrifying. Chinese herbs are oh, no, joke. no joke. And you don't know when they're going to hit and you don't oh know how God. you're going to. So I was having crazy hot flashes. I was having like very uh, small glimpses of like one or two second blacking out on stage. Oh my gosh. I was having crazy <sighs> cycles of pooping. Like, hello, <laughs> hello. We are talking loud, these mamas. Yeah. Um, and then um, I did get pregnant. And I lost the baby. Uh, I truly believe I was losing the baby on stage. I was singing, um, writing on the wall, mm-hmm. and I went into massive cramps okay. oh. and this crazy heaviness and weight. And I kept singing. And if you know the words to that song, it's about clinging to life. It's oh, about yeah. how every breath is a gift. And oh. I'm singing, and I'm just like tearing up. And um, I think Cheetah took notice, and my dresser certainly did. And I said, I think I just lost this baby. Sure enough, went home. Um, I was bleeding a lot. We called my doctor. There's this whole discussion of how much you're bleeding and how quickly and, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in to see the doctor the next day, and we had lost the pregnancy. And that is when he and I really started to talk about, I think the city has a lot to do with how I am working. Mm. Um, I'm at a stress level that I don't necessarily think is healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just never stops, that pulse and that metronome. It's some feet on it. And for me, at that time in my life, the city was just taking way more than she was giving back. So that's when we started to look outside of the city mm-hmm. to um, find a place that had a yard and a sky and um, 
So again, we started the hunt. I was what I thought, several weeks pregnant. I took a pregnancy test and everything seemed great. Da, 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 ba, ba. And um, we went into my doctor. There was a little heartbeat. And then I lost her. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, I thought, okay, Eastern medicine is always going to play a part in my life. I like that sort of homeopathic. I like listening to my body and knowing that I understand my body far better than any doctor could. But I knew I was going to need to have Western medicine and some help. Mm -hmm. So we went to this doctor called Dr. Sammy David, which made us laugh because we always thought we were <laughs> going to Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he is known as the preeminent doctor to get you pregnant. And his list of questions when we first met with him I must admit, I came up short. He was asking all sorts of things and about textures of things and mucosal things. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, know. you know, I have not written all that down. <laughs> so there started new charts at a much mm. more detailed fashion. And there was a lot of, um, so now I'm doing, let's see, Little Miss Sunshine. And uh, I'm getting shots and we are going home and I'm waking up at 5.30 in the morning and sorry Seb, everybody's going to know. And then we would be intimate in the morning and then I would have to like hold something for a little while right. and hold his thing for a little while and then go on a train and get to that doctor and then do some tests. And yeah. so I was going into rehearsals very early and James Lapine would be there and he would either see me sitting on the stairs of second stage crying or having a very deep discussion with some sort of medical professional and he would see the bruises on my arms and my legs and he's like what are you doing and how are you doing this while creating a new show I just maybe you need to sit and, and maybe postpone this a little bit. And as the artist, I knew, and as a woman, I knew mm -hmm. he was saying the right thing to me. Mm -hmm. But as somebody who wanted the results on the other end, somebody who is a perfectionist, somebody who doesn't want to be told, this isn't going to work for you, I fought. And mm -hmm. so I continued for a couple more weeks, and it just was getting exhausting and um actually debilitating. I was having trouble functioning in any capacity. Mm. My language as a wife was not kind. I was not who I needed to be in the rehearsal room or to anyone in humanity, really. And so we put a hold on it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talkin' Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic. Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song. Our producers, Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. If you like what you're hearing and you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, subscribe and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.